Hi guys, Talisha from P3 here. I'm thankful enough to be joined again by Jackson, who's had a little bit of a hiatus, but he was with us last episode. And last episode, we were unpacking a P3 community question that we get quite often, which is where do exercise therapies fit into managing musculoskeletal pathologies? And we had um, some good feedback on these questions when we've been addressing them. And then we wanted to expand on that a little bit more today. And so what we're going to discuss today is how many exercises we should be giving our patients. So thank you again, Jackson, for joining me. Um, how are you doing today? Yeah, great. Going well. Um, good to be back on, on the potty. And um, it's a good question. We get this all the time. Um, I think even at... at uh, at university, like I, I swear lectures or tutors were saying like, oh, you should never give anyone more than three exercises or, or like three is the magic number or maybe even you never give anyone more than one exercise in in, in a consult. Like, um, so yeah, it's a it's good uh, sort of myth that we can debunk or, or discuss. Um, looking forward to it. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, let's get into it. The Progressive Podiatry Project here to share knowledge, insights, and information for you to improve your clinical practice and most importantly, help you help your clients. All right, so how many exercises to give our patients with MSK pathologies? And like Jackson just covered, there was that um, saying and thoughts that came through when he was studying that, yeah, the magic number is three and never give your patients more than three exercises or one exercise. and. I remember even when I had you on placement, you telling me that. So this is going back, what, that would have been like seven years ago now, maybe? Yeah, maybe, yeah, it's been. I think it'd be, yeah, it'd be about that. <laughs> so anyway, that was burnt into my memory. And I very much think that a lot of those misconceptions are still around. So. I'll throw it over to you first up. What is your opinion on how many exercises we should be giving our patients? Yeah, my, my opinion on that is there's no there's no right answer. Um, and another, it depends, yep. <laughs> which, is, um, which is always great to, to give that answer. It, it depends if it's, if it's a bit repetitive, but it, it really does. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. Um, you can give someone one exercise and that might be all they need to do. And that fixes their problem. They get really strong from that and bang on, you've got it right. Um, or someone may need two or, or three, three or four, just depends on what you're trying to achieve. Or you might end up writing someone a full strength and conditioning program where you've got like two or three days of different exercise programs where in each, in each day you've got five or six. So um, so in total, you're prescribing them 15 plus exercises. So it just really, really depends. I think uh, in regards to like, I mean, we can unpack this a little bit, like a lot of it comes down to time as well. So how much time you have available in consultation. So from like an initial consultation, you may only give someone one exercise. Yes. But then if that's the case, what, and I feel like I need to give someone more, or we need to write a bit more of a, rehab program then rather than just like one or two exercises if i want to write like a bit of a program for someone with three four five exercises i'll actually ask them to to rebook soon like they may come back the next day even to go through a full 
consultation of just in the gym coaching exercises. And that's all we do. So um, that way you can really confidently and better give someone three or four exercises um, rather than just trying to cram them all in at the end of the initial, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I do think that that approach um, of like where people sort of just may try and cram the exercises in right at the end of the consultation. It's funny how even just doing that, I find it kind of can impact how important a client may think the exercises are. Like if we've spent, well, it depends on how long our initial consultations are, right? But if we've spent 75% of the consult assessing, educating and doing all of that, and then we're talking about what we're going to do next. And then it might be the last few minutes that we go, oh, by the way, you've got to do all of these exercises. When it comes across almost like a bit of an afterthought, mm-hmm. then I find that clients, they kind of think it's a bit of an afterthought because all this importance and time has been focused on this part. Oh, the exercises are only this small piece of the puzzle. So I think that's a really good approach that you were just mentioning that you may book someone back in the next day so you can really devote that time to do it properly. So I think that's a great tip and we're only a couple of minutes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. If, if, if you like the focus, if you want someone to focus on the exercises and if, and if that's the most important thing in their rehab, which a lot of the times it is, um, then you, that needs to be the focus of your consultations. So there needs to be a... a equal ratio of of consultation focus and importance of what they need to do or take away at home so if you're just even if it's not an initial if it's a follow-up appointment where you're doing treatment say if you do dry needling massage shockwave therapy by the time you do all of that and then uh, if you've only got a half an hour consult you might just look at someone's car phrase in the last five minutes of a consult um and yeah that's that's you know the patient is sub, uh, subconsciously going to perceive that the, those car phrases are less important because you sort of just tacked them on at the end as a bit of an afterthought, um, whereas all the focus was on that treatment. So, um, yeah, so it's an interesting one. Um, and it's going to be different depending where you work, how much time you have in your consultations, the type of client you're working with. Um, but, yeah, really important that we, if we are going to implement exercise therapies that we do, prioritize it and um yeah make it a large focus of our consultation yep i think that's a very important point and so tied into that it's so essentially it's the framing that we give the exercises and the narrative surrounding the exercises and then if we can circle back around to sort of how those two factors will influence how many exercises we give our patients. If we identify or unpack what their specific goals are, and we've done our assessment and we've been able to identify some deficits, if they do exist, whether or not it's from a local tissue tolerance perspective, a performance perspective, whatever it is, if we are able to identify the current capacity and then the desired capacity, then we have a little bit of an idea of potentially what types of exercises we may prescribe and then for some people it may be I don't know, three or four other people like you were saying it may be a two-day split and then it may be a collection of 15 exercises but what's really important I feel more so 
At times, there are the nuances that we will explain, but I feel what's important is if we identify the client goals and then we've identified our therapeutic goals, joining the two together and linking them, which is done via framing education and our treatment narratives, that's how we can often overcome it's not so much the problem of concept of how many exercises to prescribe it's just getting the patient to do or engage in the treatment or the exercises that we are prescribing so it's again for one person they may like you said only need one exercise but for someone else via your assessments and factoring in their specific goals they may require three four or five exercises but then how we increase the chance of them engaging in those exercises is with the narrative and the framing and linking the therapeutic goals to the client goals um Mm -hmm. so do you find so i'll throw a question to you based on that is when it comes to specific pathologies yes the differences in exercises we prescribe are quite vast and there is the linking of the therapeutic goals and the client goals. What do you feel we have um, options to do as far as flexibility of the number of exercises we prescribe when we have some resistance from our patients or clients, as in people who just don't want to do the exercises? So what would be an approach there? Yeah, so that comes down to your um your questioning and and building rapport and and subjective history taking asking someone like have they engaged in an exercise program before have they ever rehabilitated an injury before finding out more about their life stuff so their their work schedule their kids commitments you know and asking them what they're actually realistically going to be able to commit to um so you may have someone come in who's really determined um to get their injury right and and they're they're happy to dedicate an hour each day to their rehab program um and but i'd argue most of the time that's not going to be the case um for most podiatrists and the clients that we tend to see um you've got to factor in all their other life stuff and they may only have five or ten minutes at the start or at the end of their day where they're able to squeeze some exercises in so um, you really have to find out those things and and get a good idea of what their day and what their week typically looks like and ask them, ask them questions like what, how much time are you going to be able to dedicate to these exercises this week? Um, Or what, what barriers are in the way that's going to potentially stop you from doing these exercises? Like, do you, and do you, do you feel like you'd be able to get three or four exercises done um, each day? Um, or is it more realistic for you to be able to be able to do one exercise perhaps multiple times throughout the day um, rather than all clumped together at once? Some people uh, with their work or whatever find it easier to just find a little two minute window throughout their day to do a few do a, do one exercise um, and that's all you're going to be able to fit in. Um, mm-hmm. So it just comes down to ask, asking really good questions like that and and setting that expectation and it almost becomes a not so much an expectation and an agreement that you've made with the client that, you know, together you've come up with this solution or this plan that they're going to be able to implement and they've sort of agreed to it. And it, it puts it back on them a little bit. Like they're, they're thinking about, okay, they're, they're picturing themselves at that point of the day doing those exercises. Yep. I'll be able to do that. And so then they tend to be a bit more adherent, I find, rather than just 
giving them, you know, this set of three or four exercises and say, you have to do this three times a day, then, you know, that's just, that's just not going to get done in a, in a lot of cases. So um, yeah, asking good questions. Yeah, I agree completely with that. So it's the asking the good questions, it's finding what will work for them and then linking what you're actually doing to what they're hoping to get out of the consultation. And like you said right at the start, is it very much is an it depends scenario. And do you find as well that, well, when it comes to prescribing any exercise program, regardless of how many exercises a client is willing or wanting to engage in, do you find that, um, I very much am of the opinion that like why prescribe five exercises when you can prescribe one if it's going to achieve the same outcome. Mm -hmm. So you're better off doing sort of three or four exercises very, very well and executing them well as opposed to doing 10 or 15 that might just be accessory fluff that, yeah. Are you of the same opinion with that, that it's less can often be more? Yep. I like to educate uh, or I tell people that this is a bang for buck exercise. And, yeah. and um, what I mean by that, and I explain this, this is basically, I feel like I'm talking to a client here. <laughs> what, what I mean by that is that this one exercise, this calf raise, for example, is ticking a lot of our boxes, right? We're building calf muscle strength, soleus muscle strength. We're getting some intrinsic foot muscle engagement as well. We're strengthening those. Um, it's helping to improve your gait because you're focusing on pushing through your your big toe, which is what we need to improve with your gait, getting that sort of that higher gear propulsion. Um, so focusing on that in the calf raise. And at the top, you said that you felt that you could feel um, your hip or your, your glute muscles engaging a bit more than they normally do. So um, yeah, that's a, a bit of a um, yeah benefit to that one as well. So the, the one calf raise is a, is a really common example, is a really what I call a bang for buck exercise for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, working on that, um, there's other examples as well. Um, and for example, a, for someone who's sprained their ankle, uh, you think of something like a star excursion balance test, you know, obviously we're working on balance and proprioception with that exercise, but as you're sort of lunging forward, you're also getting ankle mobility. So that's another, another good bang for buck exercise. Um, and yeah, trying to find those rather than adding those fluffy exercises. I'm like, I, find, I even find that um, like in a lot of podiatrists are really big on intrinsic foot muscle strengthening, but I find that they can be fluffy at times. Um, and, you know, with a calf raise, high load calf raise, you know, you can set your foot up in the right position, the right angles. Like you're probably getting a lot of intrinsic muscle activation and strength with that as well. So um but if someone does have a bit more time or there is a definite intrinsic deficit, then you would add on those more specific intrinsic exercises as well. But um, I find the calf raise ticks a lot of boxes there um, as, as a couple of examples. Yep. I Yeah, calf raise, definitely bang for buck. And yeah, the star excursion balance, which I when I program it, I just call it the multi-directional lunge because it's yep. essentially the same thing. And I, just expanding on that as well. So you were talking about the ankle dorsiflexion and the proprioception and the balance. When we think about it as well, when we're doing the single leg lunge component of it, when we're going to reach, that is engaging our gluteals. So we're getting some strengthening in range of yeah. the glutes, um, through the quads, through the hamstrings. And so having 
this is where um, it's very important for clinicians and why I harp on about it so much in just a P3 platform, and I know you do as well, but even in the online course is if we have an understanding of how a tissue or body part or whatever is meant to function or designed to function in the absence of pathology and then how it's typically affected in the presence of pathology and then what's actually happening with the individual. If we have an understanding of those components, it allows us to be a little bit more reasoned with what we're prescribing. So using the multidirectional lunge as an example, if we look at the deficits that often present in people that have chronic ankle instability, it does in a lot of cases affect the entire kinetic chain. So people um, with some of the studies that have been published on it where they've looked at this, there are deficits in gluteal muscle strength and EMG activity. So if we have a consideration and know, okay, this person has this pathology and typically this pathology, it affects X, Y, Z, we've done our assessment and it also shows that this, this, and this is affected, then, okay, maybe the multidirectional lunge is going to, like you said, give us that bang for buck in being able to address multiple deficits that may be presenting for that one pathology as opposed to lots of fluff where even though the calf raises yes bang for buck but the multi-directional lunge that in itself can replace the lunge test clamshells side oh, steps uh, hip extension exercises so that's four exercises that we can throw into just one so um yeah i just thought i'd expand a little bit there to kind of hone in on that bang for buck that you were talking about and um are there any other exercises? I know I'm throwing you on the spot here. You've given us two really good bang for buck ones. Are there yeah. any others that you can think of that may be a bit of a bang for buck or yet yeah, replacing a couple with, yeah, just mm -hmm. one? Yeah, big one is uh, the like a wall triple extension, um, like an A-frame. Um, I'd call it a... I'd call it an A an A frame. Um, you can there's there's lots of different names for it. Um, triple extension, uh, hip lock. So what you could do is picture picture someone leaning on a sort of a forty five degree angle on a wall. Um, they have a a mini band or a theraband around their feet, uh, and they they come up into a calf raise on say their left side, and then their right knee is up. So they're in that knee drive position and they're also pulling their foot up with the mini band so what you're getting here on the wall and maybe we can put like a picture or something to go along with this podcast so to people so people can see it um yeah when but, i do the video edit and we throw it up on the youtube um yeah, yeah i'll throw some video uh, a picture up in the corner so podcast people um just get creative use your imagination if you can't do that you can head over to the youtube channel and yeah we'll throw um, the picture up there so on your, on your on your left side you're in a calf raise um but you're also fully extended so you're getting your hips engaged as well so people will feel their their glutes on that left side as well then on the right side you're in like an extreme hip flexion so your knee is up as high as you can so you're getting your hip flexors working and then you've also got your foot on your right side up towards your shin which is working your ankle dorsiflexes so you're hitting like everything it's a um really good one uh like a or you're in like an acceleration position so you're on a, on a lean on a wall um but you've got a lot of muscles working and you can hold that isometrically or you can do it for repetitions up and down um but 
that's a good one as well. Um, and even in, even anything like squats, lunges, more your global system exercises, they're uh, your, your multi-joint the compound movements. They generally tend to be more bang for buck in, in general. If someone just needs to improve their strength overall, um, obviously compound movements are better than isolated movements. But um, sometimes when we have a specific pathology or local tissue injury, then um, yeah, you may want to hone in more on that uh, on that specifically. Um, and but yeah, compound stuff tends to be more more bang for buck than isolated stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I think that for some people, if we're dealing with an acute injury, so say it's a grade two lateral ankle sprain, there may be a number of exercises that we prescribe because we're doing low dose to target a couple of different things. But once we've had tissue healing and we're heading into the subacute phase or if we're dealing with someone that's more that chronic msk pathology so perineal tendinopathy achilles tendinopathy all of that then often the fluff exercises can more, more often than not be thrown out and we can replace with bang for buck and um, i think the a-frame exercise i love uh, giving for runners especially if we're looking at doing a little bit of gait retraining. So if they've got that sort of diffuse knee pain or whatever presentation that we're dealing with and a really um, good exercise that I like to complement it with again, bang for buck is like the Bulgarian split squat. So if we're thinking about that, depending on where our leading foot is positioned, we can get that um, ankle dorsiflexion range of movement and some soleus stretching as well. And then we're working the quadriceps, we're working the glutes, but then on the leg that's hooked up to the chair or the bench, hip flexor extension. So we're stretching the hip flexors, we're getting some really deep knee flexion. So a really good hip flexor and quad stretch on that side. And then the contralateral limb is more a strength and dynamic range of movement. So that hopefully paints a bit of a picture for the people listening or watching um, a couple of the sort of bang for buck ones that we can use. So when it comes to exercise prescription, definitely, I think, um, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, it's having a knowledge of the different types of exercises very much helps. But if we take a pause for a minute and actually be considered about, okay, what are the deficits or what are the areas that we're looking to work on? And if we think about that, then that kind of guides what type of exercises we're looking to prescribe. Um, would you agree that that's probably the, a good starting process for clinicians with their exercise selection? Yep, definitely. Um, and I think it's important to uh, reassess and, and re-ask those good questions we spoke about before as well. Just, um, you know, how are you going with the exercise program? Um, if they're not getting them done, if they say, oh, I've been doing the calf raises, I've been doing those stretches, but I haven't been doing the other ones. Like some people tend to just pick a couple out of their program that they like to do. Um, so then unpack that, talk to them about why, like, oh, did you find the other ones difficult to do? Like you can't physically do them or is it more that you just couldn't be bothered or there was no time to get them all done? And then you can readjust your program around that. So that may be on you a little bit, like you need to, adjust their program to better suit them or on the flip side it may be that um they're just not doing what you're prescribing and and when if you've identified where their capacity goals are yep they may 
you know, they may, it may be their fault. They may not be doing the exercise that you've given them. So you need to re sort of investigate the expectations around that and have that hard conversation with them being like, look, your goals are here. You want to be able to achieve this. We've identified this, this, and this. That's why I prescribed this exercise, this exercise, this exercise. So if we're not doing them, we're, we're not going to get to that goal that you, you want to achieve as quick as you would like to. So, um, you know, is that still your goal? And if it is, then, you know, we really need to be doing these exercises and then you need to work with them to, it may be something simple, like they may just say, okay, yep, I'll do them now. (laughs) Or it may be that you need to um, work with them again around their day as to how they're going to actually fit all of that in. Um, So, yeah reassessing, re-asking those questions as they're going through, not just asking them, oh, how's your pain? Um, do you feel like you're getting stronger, et cetera? Actually ask them questions about when they come in for their review consults, ask them about the program itself. Like yep. overall, how do you feel like this program is going? How you find it's fitting into your day? Are you getting it done? Um, do you have any problems or questions about it? Yeah, that's a very good point. And well, all of them are really good points. And I agree with that. And that is one thing that I'll ask patients and um, like, how's the program going for you? How are you finding it? And I'll even ask, like, are you enjoying it? Are there any exercises that you don't like? Because obviously, like, we don't like doing things. Like, If we don't like doing things, sorry, we're less likely to do them. So if they find one exercise is tedious or they're finding it quite difficult um that having that communication with them gives you a little bit of an opportunity to modify if you need to try and keep that engagement happening so i think there's some really great points and again it is the nuance of there's no right or wrong answer i think it all comes down to clinical reasoning and communication so Hopefully that's given the listeners a little bit of a nuanced answer to the question. So wrapping it up, do you have any global take-home points for our listeners in regards to yeah, how many exercises to give your patients? Um, yeah, definitely, definitely the bang for buck point. I think that's most important is to find bang for buck exercises and rather than adding in a whole heap of fluff. So don't give someone preset exercise templates that you've pre-made and just give them all of those exercises actually identify which ones are most important to that person and and only give them them. Um, and, uh, another sort of summary point, I think is to make sure that you, if you are going to give more than one, then you need to prioritize and and give the the time. So, um, pre-frame that they need to book in for another consultation and you'll spend that whole consultation coaching through the exercises. Um, that's, that's probably the, um, yeah, a couple of points I've identified there, but I think overall the big sort of takeaway is that, that there's no, no uh, magic number. There's no only give three, only give one. Um, you should be giving five. You should be giving people two day splits of eight exercises. Like there's no magic number. Yep. People people want a magic number and there isn't one. A hundred percent. When it comes to, well, especially musculoskeletal pathologies, because that's our wheelhouse, that's what we work in. It's the whole spectrum of managing musculoskeletal pathologies. It's a gray area. So there's not one protocol that's going to fit 
the hundreds of different people that we see and it's once we get comfortable in the gray that's where i think it becomes a lot less stressful for clinicians knowing that there isn't a specific right answer and as long as you're in the general realm of getting that tissue adaptation or system adaptation that you're seeking you're going to be pretty fine so i think they're fantastic take-home points and i agree with them completely and if i could throw some ones in there as well so my take-home point would be yeah if we take the time to get to know the client or the patient and what they're hoping to achieve if we take our clinical assessment and their history and apply our clinical reasoning and be very considered with what we're hoping to achieve like why am i giving them this exercise is it going to achieve or address whatever deficit or capacity gap that we've identified so if the answer is no then why are you giving the exercise so am i just giving this exercise because they have a reported achilles tendinopathy or am i giving them this exercise because i've done an assessment they have some strength deficits or if they've got some tensile strain deficits within the tendon so if you answer no that you don't actually know what you're hoping to achieve from the exercise you either need to dig a little bit deeper and unpack clinical reasoning a bit more or the exercise that you may be thinking may not be relevant so understanding the client understanding what you're hoping to achieve from a specific tissue level or tissue adaptation level and then the negotiation part with your client. So how many exercises? And if realistically they're only going to do one out of, you might may know that there's five or 10 that would be beneficial. Realistically, if they're only going to do one, they're better off doing A, the most bang for buck exercise and the one that they're probably, it's going to move them closer towards their goal. So understanding the client which it all boils down to communication and clinical reasoning and again when we're managing msk pathologies as opposed to prescribing for specific performance goals again as long as we're somewhere in the realm of creating that positive tissue adaptation you're heading in the right direction so that wraps up today's episode thank you again for joining me jackson looking forward to the next couple we've got planned and we'll catch everyone next time. Cheers. Really? Sounds good. Thanks, everyone.